everyone, and welcome back to Novel Gaming, a podcast about video games and books with a seasoning of other pop culture tidbits. I'm Vicky. I'm Doug. And I'm Katie. And we are back to a book club episode. So the three of us recently finished Each of Us a Desert by Mark Oshiro. Uh, The second half of our podcast, we will discuss our thoughts, questions, and opinions on the book. But before we do, let's go around and do our normal check-in with what we've been reading, playing, and or thinking about. So Doug, let's kick it off with you. What's been going on? Sure. I I haven't... uh, I was about to say I haven't been playing all that much, but I forgot that last time we recorded... I hadn't played Miles Morales yet, and I have since played Miles Morales, so this would be the time to say I've played Miles Morales. (laughs) Um, It's incredible. It is such such a good game. Um, The first Spider-Man game was incredible. This is also amazing, and I think it's even in certain ways a lot better, and I think improves upon certain things Mm. that the first game didn't necessarily nail um mm. the combat is very similar but it's obviously catered not catered it is adjusted specifically for miles and his power set because he has different powers than peter parker does the story is very it's a bit more neighborhood focused and it focuses a lot more mm. on miles and his immediate circle and introduces pretty much an entire cast of characters of color and their stories in harlem which is awesome and it just sort of feels like a more focused, tighter game, which makes sense because mm-hmm. it's a shorter game than the first one. So in some ways, I think it's actually a tighter package. And I think the way that it hits emotionally ends up mm-hmm. actually sort of hitting emotionally in a more real world way. Whereas Peter Parker's Spider-Man game, I think, hits emotionally, certainly in some real world ways, but more because they're established characters that you may have known for decades. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? This feels much yeah. more right now and relevant and uh, I think touches on some more serious stuff, which is really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yes. Not related to the story, but so in the first PS4 Spider-Man game, there was like a lot of side missions and backpack mm-hmm. collectibles and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that still a thing in Miles Morales? There is still, yeah, those types of missions still exist. I think... I didn't find it all that obtrusive, but I might not be the best person to ask because I <laughs> I like that kind of stuff and I did all that stuff kind of like along the way. And mm. so for both the Peter Parker and the Miles Morales one, I pretty much did all of that before I got to the end game portion, mm-hmm. probably because there was a part of my brain that was like, you're not going to want to do this once you finish the game. Mm. So you might yeah. as well just kind of do it now. But I also kind of dig it. I didn't find myself as annoyed um, as I did sometimes with the Peter Parker one, where I felt like stuff was repetitive. I think this one is a little less repetitive in some regards, but I mean, if you're not into doing like the city stuff, like that's probably the thing you're not going to love again, but <laughs> I mean, it's I a liked... shorter game at least. <laughs> yeah, I liked yeah. a lot of the city stuff. Uh, chasing around the drones or whatever was like uh. probably my most annoying city thing, but there were just yeah. so many I beat the main story and I got the DLC for the original, like the first one yeah. for PS4. But then I I started one of them and I was like, oh my gosh, there's more <laughs> swinging around and getting <laughs> like, you know, research and all that. And then I was yeah. like, I can't do this right now. Uh, so I was just wondering how much how much of that came into play in this in Miles Morales. There's some of it. I If I had to guess, I would say there's probably less. That's where I would probably bet if I had to. Yeah. Um, and there are no drones, so. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Chasing you have to them chase the drones worst. around the city. 
<laughs> uh, but it's definitely worth it. It's I think it's awesome, and I would recommend it to anybody, especially if you liked the first one. Yeah. I think I'll play it at some point. One of the things I, I have not um, played it myself yet, but I've seen and watched a little bit, and I really like the attention to detail and like the nice little nods in the Easter eggs that they've had mm-hmm. for a couple of like people and like relevant things. So <laughs> I, I, I'm excited to see more of that. I was really curious to see how they were going to fill out Miles' sort of like costume roster, yeah. his wardrobe. Yeah. It's awesome. I was really yeah. happy. You know, I was trying to speculate like, you know, Miles has only existed for about a decade. So he, he really has a classic costume and then variations on the classic costume. So are they going to try to do costumes he didn't wear but are still like official Spider-Man costumes, kind of like the Peter Parker one did where there were like, a Ben Riley costume that like technically Peter Parker never wore, but everybody was like, oh, that's a cool reference. They don't even really do that with Miles. All these suits are made for Miles, oh, cool. um, which I think is really awesome. Uh, I do love dressing up characters. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you have a favorite suit, Doug? Because I have one. I know what I'm going to wear the whole time when I play, but did well, you have one going through? I think my current favorite suit, or, or I, current is hard to say, but the one that I definitely found myself playing in the game the most aside from the traditional suits was Mm -hmm. probably the miles morales 2099 suit um Mm. it has a hood it's very it's got a lot of black with like red and and blue accents and it's obviously like a reference to the miguel o'hara 2099 suit and so that's i i really like that one there are some suits that are very cool suits but they're not necessarily great spider-man suits um, like there's one that's very, very inspired by Daft Punk. And so it's like a super oh. cool suit, but it, I, I kind of like took some pictures in it and then like moved on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's probably the one I played the most in. My favorite suit is kind of story related, so I won't even say what it is, but maybe you and mm. I can talk afterward, Vicky. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I actually finished the game not in the classic suit, which I, I surprised mm. myself doing that. Mm. Yeah. Miles content, good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> the only other I'm thing excited. I played, I started playing a game called My Time at Porsche, which I oh. have had my eye on for a while, but I think it was on sale recently, so I got it. Uh, it's, I, I'm not really sure yet what I think about it. I don't know. <laughs> well, because like it, it definitely has, it, it, it definitely has some Stardew vibes, some Animal Crossing vibes, like that, those types of games. But uh, it's kind of, it's kind of a slow start. And mm. it's this doesn't necessarily matter that much, but combined with the slow start, it, it didn't grab me as much as I thought it would right away. It doesn't look as good as I thought it did when I remember like watching oh, trailers no. and stuff. Uh. So uh, so we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm gonna stick with it because I didn't play it for a whole lot, and I want to give a better a better sort of impression. But that's the only other thing I've really been playing. Hmm. What about you, Katie? Uh, so I have still been uh, cracking away. I actually just platinumed arcade spirits yeah uh, which i was pretty excited about so i did in fact date and fall in love with everyone and then also chose to uh not date and fall in love with anyone in a playthrough yeah Yeah, so i really uh i just love that game so much i can't wait (laughs) to like not play it for a while so i forget a bunch of things and then play it again and have it all be uh be fresh uh, it's just so good and it was so fun to play and i really liked like in the playthroughs they had things that helped make it go faster so you gained the ability to like fast forward and 
basically like skip through a lot of oh, um, dialogue okay. that you've seen before and then it would it would stop skipping through when it came to something that you hadn't seen before so when i did like my branches dating different people it would like skip through all the things i already had seen but then when i chose to interact with a character that was different from any of my other playthroughs it stopped there and allowed me to progress like at the kind of normal rate so i really i really dug that and then it allowed me to like go back in time to if I like messed up oh, I was like, wow, oh nice. whoops that didn't work out how I wanted it to and like <laughs> uh, based on what style so there's like different personality traits you can kind of take on uh, and based on what personality traits you take on the like final the final scene or challenge kind of runs out differently and plays out differently and it's uh it's just so cool so good uh I can't, I can't stop talking about it, but I, I can't I wait will. to play it. I'm so excited. I can't wait for you to play it. I can't <laughs> wait for everybody to play it and go date some nerds. Uh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and after, so since I finished that a couple of days ago, I started uh, Life is Strange mm-hmm. 2. Mm. I like just started it and I didn't know a whole lot about it. I played the first Life is Strange, but this seems to be a totally different story. Though they did ask what my ending was in, oh, in the first one. Interesting. So I don't know how that will impact or play out, but it starts out like super heavy because it involves like, I don't, I'm not going to say anything because it, I mean, it's <laughs> not a spoiler, but it's been out for a while, but there's like sure. police violence in it and I wasn't expecting that. And so huh. it's, I'm, I'm really interested to see where it ends up going and um, I don't know how it all play out. Cause I really have no idea right now, um, <laughs> but it's still got elements. I don't know if either of you played the first life is strange. I yeah. haven't. Did you? Okay. Well, there were some like elements of like weird superpower type stuff. And it seems like that's a part of this too. So we'll see what happens. Hmm. I'll report back when I get further. But yeah, those are the two big things I've been playing. Is Life is Strange one or two choose your own adventure Like, do you make decisions in those games too? Or is it more like linear? Yeah, it's choose your own adventure. So I think there still okay. is kind of overall linear story, but depending on what you do, certain characters react differently or... I mean, at the end of Life is Strange 1, there's like pretty i think serious consequences based on what uh choices you make (laughs) so it does it does play out and so i like i don't i don't even know i don't know anything about life is strange too aside from what i've just experienced so and someone told me you could be gay in it which is uh why i played the first one and why i played the second one (laughs) Uh. (laughs) how about you vicky what have you been playing so i've been playing a couple things so i i Got it a few weeks ago, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it last time. But I've been playing Hades on Switch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's like the perfect game to kind of pick up and and put down. And it's gotten like really good buzz. And a lot of people are like shouting it from the rooftops for a game of the year. Um, One of the things I really like about it is like I played for 20 minutes today over lunch and I like made the most progress that I've ever made and then I died and I was like okay well that's good when I try again next time I know I'll do better (laughs) I just I really love how they laid out like the gameplay and how I'm supposed to die um, and I can't improve unless I keep dying so I just don't feel bad or frustrated ever because I know like I need to to improve and get the skills and stuff that I need to to go on so that's been super fun so i highly recommend that and then i've also been playing 
Ori in the Blind Forest. <gasps> oh, I want to play that so bad. Oh, you didn't. I, I it thought you had so it. Cute. I do. Well, I think I might have. I think I might have it on Steam, and then decided like my computer just couldn't handle it. <laughs> okay. Oh, I was hoping you had started it because I need like a buddy to process things with. I'll try again, <laughs> oh, or maybe shoot. I had controller issues. I don't remember. There was okay. some reason I didn't play it. <laughs> okay. Well, I won't talk much about it because oh, that's okay. Well, it's complicated. It is a oh. very, I will say, a very, very emotionally charged game from the get-go. Oh, wow. Yeah. It looks so, so cute. When it is very cute. Um, it is very cute, and that is all I will say. So when you do play, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> offline about it. Um, but in general, I've not ever played, what is it? it Metroidvania was the right like yeah. category. So I've never played a game like that before or thought I would like a game style like that, but sure. I really, really do. I love the how the map is unfolding. It's been mildly frustrating to remember that like I need to use this ability to save my progress every you know so often before going on to a difficult task because I die a lot. Um, mm. And unlike Hades, like you're not supposed to die, so you know <laughs> it sets you back if you haven't like planned appropriately. Sure. So it's really kind of pushing how I play games in a different way, on top of like you know being adorable and beautiful, and the story is just is is very moving. So I highly recommend. We do have uh, we just purchased um, on you know Black Friday sale Ori and the Will of the Wisp. So. I am going to play this one, probably let it rest for a little bit, and then I'm excited to play the sequel, too. So Nice. Been doing that. Shoot. Yeah. I know we're going to talk about our big book, but are there any other things that you've been reading or listening to or thinking about, Doug? The only other thing I've been reading lately, or at least since we last talked, it's another comics thing. I, I started reading, because I'm also watching, the 1979 Spider-Woman cartoon. Mm. So because the, that character, Jessica Drew, isn't a character I knew a whole lot about outside of like some basic stuff, I went back and decided like, well, I want to read like when she first showed up in comics, you know? So mm-hmm. I went I went back and found like where she first appeared and, and have been reading some of that stuff, which is really funny because it's very different than the cartoon. They mm-hmm. kind of like, they created the character very quickly so that other companies couldn't steal the Spider-Woman name because <laughs> that was the thing that used to happen a lot. <laughs> It turned out okay. I mean, they, she was she was popular, and so obviously she still exists uh, today and has had her own series and stuff. But that's the only other thing I think I've been reading aside from what we're going to talk about. I think that's I think that's mostly. I feel like I'm forgetting something I watched, but maybe it didn't leave an, a, a big impression <laughs> if I'm if I'm forgetting it. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been listening to and watching uh, some murder things lately. Uh, so uh, I guess, you know, since we're through the election, I can handle a little bit darker things, though there's still stuff to get done. But totally. I've been listening to a podcast called Dr. Death, uh, specifically oh. the second season, which is just on. And it's kind of highlighting an oncologist, doctors who deal with cancer, yeah. an oncologist who is basically like killing his patients so oh. that he can get money. Uh, oh. And he, he was up in Michigan. And the first season of Dr. Death, which I also binged, but I was able to fully complete that one, is about a doctor who ended up down in Texas who was performing surgeries that was like, he had no business being in there. He like... Maybe one patient that he touched came out, oh, God. like, 
the same, but everyone else was like dead or (gasps) the way they like the way they lived their life. Like he performed surgery on his friend and like turned him into a paraplegic. And so it's just like the medical system is like all up in my brain right now because there are all these people who are trying to like raise the alarm about these doctors, but it just took so long for responses to happen that so many more people got injured or killed um, before they were stopped. So if you're looking for something (laughs) to uh, have you distrust the medical system and infuriate (laughs) you all at the same time, Dr. Death. And then I've been watching Killing Eve, um, which I watched the first season a while ago, but then the second and third season are on Hulu. So I've been making my way through them. And I love me some Sandra Oh. Uh, oh, and yeah. they make it very clear when the violence is about to happen so I can oh. close my eyes and look away, uh, <laughs> which I, I very much appreciate. But it's like a really I forgot how funny it was, mm-hmm. uh, even though it is like very dark and gory and like even the sounds are kind of gory, like the sounds of stabbing <laughs> and stuff. But uh, it's it's so funny and I'm I'm invested. So those are the things I've been watching or listening to. How about you, Vicky? Not too much different on um, my end. I think one of the things we started watching, felt guilty about, and then it got pulled anyway, was we were watching The Chappelle Show on Netflix. Mm. Um, So right after the election, Dave Chappelle opened on SNL and like did a monologue, um, not similar to, but just it it felt appropriate because he had done one after the 2016 election. Um, And he had mentioned the Chappelle show and had made like an offhanded comment about like how he never had, he never got paid for it. Hmm. Yeah. He's like, you can watch it on Netflix, but like I never got paid. And I thought that's interesting. And then we proceeded to go to Netflix and to start to watch it. And it's funny if you've not seen it and you aren't maybe in tune with like his elevated sense of humor, it's going to come off very, very offensive and appropriate and also like perpetuating stereotypes instead of kind of calling them to question. So watching it now is kind of a different experience because it's older. And then today we found out that Netflix pulled it because Dave Chappelle called him up and said, hey, like I said, like I never was paid for Chappelle show. Would you pull it? And they said, yeah, we could do that. And then they took it off, which was wild. But I I thought, good for them. Like that was one decision that like a big business made that wasn't necessarily in their financial benefit. So yeah, it was really good to watch. I felt a little conflicted, especially like thinking about like, man, he really, if he didn't get paid, like that's awful. Like why is this still around? Why can they have rights to air it? All that kind of stuff. But it was entertaining, I will say. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I Chappelle's show was on when we were in high yeah. school, right? Is yeah, that yeah, sound yeah. right? We were okay. Little. So I, I, yeah, I wouldn't have even been able to watch it because we didn't have we didn't have like any cable channels at all. But I remember it being like a big deal, and then just never really sought it out after the fact. But I obviously because it was so big, like know some of the mm-hmm. bigger like moments the things that i guess technically weren't viral but just were like i guess i guess when we were in high school they the were still kind of water of cooler moments yeah <laughs> yeah there wasn't like youtube to distribute the clips uh on mm-hmm. i guess but but yeah i didn't know any of that wow is it just that like he doesn't get paid f- like royalties for some reason or like he just like just like i i'm i'm ba- i'm like so baffled it's like literally like, 
his name is literally right. on the show. So I'm I'm <laughs> probably going to butcher it and need to do more research. But I think the gist of it is he did the first two seasons, realized the impact uh-huh. that it was making, and it, it didn't. It wasn't hitting how he wanted it to, and then left for the third season, which like ended up being like old skits and stuff that other people were doing, and they never paid his contract out and in the first place and then since they i say they comedy central like owned the show they kind of did what they wanted with it is my understanding yeah what a wild thing yeah yeah (sighs) yeah that's so strange so all of that to say that's what we were watching uh (laughs) and now we we aren't and can't which is probably for the better that's okay i don't want to watch it if you know the artist wasn't being supported sure yeah no that makes sense my partner has been watching some interview show i forget what it is but dave chappelle was like being interviewed and they were he's from yellow springs yeah. ohio mm-hmm. which i had no idea oh i didn't even yeah. know that <laughs> that's my, the, the extent of my dave chappelle knowledge and i just learned it so <laughs> <laughs> so you go way back yeah deep yeah, into yeah. The lore of, of dave chappelle. <laughs> he was he did a few like concerts or not concerts he's a comedian (laughs) he did a few shows in yellow springs like at the start of the pandemic like just like pop in and like do stuff randomly and it wasn't it was very small and unannounced and he does cool stuff that's cool yeah i I respect him a lot more than you know i would have initially thought based on like than comedy central does yeah 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 (laughs) seems like most people might (laughs) yeah All right, well, is there anything else that we want to chat about before we jump in? I'm ready for it. So this is probably our last book club pick of the year. Thank you, 2020, (laughs) for coming to an end. Um, Although (laughs) I have enjoyed all of our book picks. That's, you know, relevant to the fact of how the year went. But I I really (laughs) am glad that we're ending the year on this book. I think it was a strong one to go off on. I was excited to learn that this is a new release. So this Mm -hmm. came out in september so i'm thrilled that we were all able to get it from the library i love when they i assume that means they purchase a lot of copies which means they're supporting the the author so i'm hoping that's what the case was but doug this was your pick each of us a desert so Mm -hmm. what made you um pick it or what jumped out at you about it sure so i will fully admit that marco shiro is an author i've been aware of for a while and it is purely because they would pop up on my Twitter, and every time they seemed to pop up on my Twitter, I was like, oh, that's a that's a nice-looking human being. <laughs> and then I would go look, and I'd be like, oh, that's right. That's Marco Shiro. I've, I've done this before. <laughs> so after doing hey. that a few times and seeing them a few times that way, I was like, I now know who Marco Shiro is. <laughs> so... So then when I was looking for books, I was specifically looking for books that were recent. I wanted something that had come out in the, you know, in the past few mm-hmm. months or so. So it was intentional to to choose something that was newer. Um, as always, you know, I'm, I'm looking to see if we can find stories that are own voices, stories that are queer stories that are mm-hmm. underrepresented stories in some way, shape or form. And this time specifically, I was looking for something that was kind of fantasy mm-hmm. and I wasn't specifically looking for Marco Shiro, but as usual, they just showed up <laughs> as I was searching and I was like, well, wait a second, you like you, you fit all these, these criteria for the, the types of books I'm looking for. Imagine that. <laughs> so, um, so seeing that they had published a book that, that is queer, that, is an own voices story that did come out in the past few months or so that was fantasy. I was like, well, this just feels like serendipity. (laughs) So 
Um, I read up a little bit about it. It seemed like a cool concept. It didn't seem like it was high fantasy so much as it was uh, more realistic fantasy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I landed on it. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad that that it it ended up on my radar because I feel like there is plenty to talk about with mm-hmm. it. There's plenty. I think that's exciting about it. And I think there's some stuff that I don't even know if I fully understand about it, which to me makes for good conversation. So I'm excited to dig into it. I don't know if there's anything you all want to add to that piece of it, but I think the thing that I'm most excited to talk about and one of the things I'm most excited about what this book is, is the the established world and sort mm-hmm. of like the world that Marco Shiro built and how they built mm-hmm. it, you know? Because I, I don't think I even just reading a little bit about it fully understood what this character, Soshiro, like can do and how she fits into the world. And so getting that fleshed out, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably got tons of baked in symbolism mm-hmm. to it. But also, even if it didn't, it's just kind of cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm eager to hear what you all thought of. Oh, wait, we have to do our sentence mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, we do. We got to do our sentence Whoa, thing. Dad. Oh, my gosh. I'm so Slow excited down. to talk about this character and what she can do. I forgot about our sentence thing. Okay, well, goodness. Uh, who wants to start? I <laughs> <laughs> well, feel like I like it more than you all do, so we don't have to do it. No, no. We're t- no, no, no. Uh, I, I yeah. like it. I love this exercise. This is my favorite. I actually have one. Because uh, oh, I've been thinking Ooh, about it. A prepared statement, perhaps? Yes, yes, yes. I The one sentence I would use to describe the book would be a story about the dangers of blindly following religion and the importance of therapy. Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would say that it is a story about a girl with like a prescribed role in her small community and her journey to challenge and understand that role. Mm. Mm-hmm. Vicky, anything you would add or what your sentence would be? Um, oh, I didn't come prepared. I wrote it down, <laughs> but I didn't write down my answer. I wrote down the question. Um, I'm, <laughs> I might just add so really like for me, it was kind of like a four part story. So there was, Ooh. yeah, like, it, this is obviously then going past it, um, a one sentence. Breaking this is hard, rules. Friends. That's okay. I almost completely blazed through it, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> um, I would say a multifaceted story that's part coming of age, part fantasy, part break all the rules and see what happens. That's still a sentence. Yeah. Yeah, I would leave it there. Yeah. I think it's so many things. I think yeah. that's that's what I think is so meaty about it is that it's so many things. I think you could have, you know, five different book clubs read this book. And I wouldn't be surprised if all five book clubs sort of had completely different conversations about it based on where they started. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I do think it it touches on so many things mm-hmm. symbolically, metaphorically, but also just like even at face value like because it is still kind of a fantasy as well yeah that there's so many things to kind of to kind of pick apart it does it does feature this character named Sochidol, and she's she has this very very unique power in even in the world she lives in and so i'm very curious to hear your all's impression of what she can do and like where you thought it was going or how you even understood the way that it worked or whatnot just 
I want your thoughts all about what she can do. Yeah. <laughs> so for our folks who haven't read this story, uh, just a reminder, we go full on spoiler. But uh, <laughs> uh power is basically she takes the stories of her peers around the village or of her like neighbors, basically. And uh, it's like the stories that bring up strong feelings. So like people who did something they're kind of like embarrassed about or ashamed of or uh, they feel guilty about or something along that brings about like strong feelings. So they basically dump their stories into her and then she has to puke them out into the desert <laughs> to give them back to Solis, who uh, is the sun and also like a god. And so that's like her her power. And like the in my one sentence, like the importance of therapy, I was like, oh my gosh, like she just needs a break because she is taking yeah. it like right. it physically drains her <laughs> and she doesn't remember the stories after she pukes them out. But she ends up at one point keeping them because like it's important that someone has this information to try and save uh, the town. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, they like they don't need this Quintista. They need like a therapist. Uh, and so uh <laughs> I just like felt so bad for her to be like this younger kid yeah. who had to take in all these grown ass adults dumping their like yeah. shitty stories on her. And then she has to puke them up and be exhausted. Um, so I was like, well, how are we going to get rid of this or how are we going to change this system? Because uh, it's not fair. It's not it's not nice. That's a good point. Like in the book, at the point we're reading it, she's a teenager, I believe, mm-hmm. like a. Um, and I think an older teenager. I don't, do they say specifically how old she is? I think at one point she said like her brother was 10 years younger or something like that. So I think she's like 16. Okay. Gotcha. But she got this power when she was mm-hmm. eight years old. Yeah. So she's been doing this, like serving as part therapist, part like priest, like priest because it's like kind of like confessional. Like the more you learn about the stories that she is having to take on for people, the more you realize that they're all things that they feel guilty or embarrassed about, like you were Mm -hmm. saying, Katie. And then on top of that, she doesn't just forget them. They forget them too. Mm -hmm. So they end up just repeating their mistakes and repeating their offenses. And so that's kind of the thing that makes her, I think, right. Be like, wait, hold on. I can't just keep forgetting these things. Like, I don't, am I even helping anybody? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Am I even going through this for a reason? Mm -hmm. I thought of her role I think retroactively as like a healer because they did all think that they had to profess their their sins mm-hmm. for lack of a better word like to her otherwise the the pesadillas mm-hmm. divisions would you know come yeah. to life and like physically harm them and so I think this is where like the magical realism comes into play which is pretty brilliant but you know I spent a lot of time thinking like she had to do this in order to heal the town to to be safe and to like you know, have a functioning society. And as that kind of unfolded, you know, each layer when she met somebody new who had shared that her role, you know, air quotes there, gosh, it was like, it was just really well structured how um, how different the role can be depending on, you know, what city that they were in. Yeah, I like the way that the world expands outward from where she is. It doesn't just, the way that the author s- sort of tells the story, they don't just tell it 
I mean, it is linear in that it starts here and then chronologically ends here, but the way that the world opens up isn't linear. It's not like we just go to location A, so we talk about location mm -hmm. A, and then we go to location B, so we talk about location B. It's more like peeling back layers. Everywhere that she goes, the author basically reveals more information about the bigger world at large. And I love that they do that because when you start the book, you only have the perspective she has, which is that she has this special role in her community, that it's necessary, that it is required of everybody, and that they they lean on her mm -hmm. uh, for this service. Otherwise, these nightmares or these pesadillas will wreak havoc on the town. Then she meets other people, like you're saying, Vicky, and they're like, wait, hold on, you do what? <laughs> like, it works how now? Yeah, no. And so you start learning more and more that both as a character, she's learning this, and then you as a reader are learning this, like, well, wait a second, I, as a reader, and she as a character, have been operating on this set of rules, and you've just told me that it's not the only set of rules, mm -hmm. but also that it's not not the rules. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is fascinating, too. Because I don't think they ever say, like, the Pesadillas aren't real, right? It's a fantasy. So, like, in that town, They're real. those nightmares mm -hmm. or those visions, they do manifest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because that's how the village operates, right? Like, they all collectively believe it, and so they all collectively manifest that reality. Yeah, which was, like, wild to me because, like, when they're traveling and they go to other towns who have, like, Quint Quintistas or, like, fake ones, mm -hmm. they, like, talk about those, but they're, like pesadillas aren't real like what are you talking about those are just like a metaphor or they don't actually manifest right yeah but in the town yeah. they were like showing up and their eyes were glowing in the background you know and so i was yeah. like how can this be true in both places at the same time but yeah maybe it is that power like the collective power of that town made them real and the, like belief made them real i do think that was kind of a bold choice on the author's part and i think it's possible because they specifically put it in this fantasy realm right mm -hmm. um, this realistic but still fantasy realm because when we met those fake quintistas and we met people who were like that's not how any of this mm -hmm. works i was kind of like oh shoot we're just gonna like deconstruct this entirely and and it's gonna be kind of a mind-blowing moment for her that like none of this was necessary or real but that's not really what happens it's more like this isn't necessary but no, it but is actually still real. real still. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? How? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that brought comfort to Xochitl in the beginning was those like little poems that she mm -hmm. found. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, so there was a bit of magic for her finding those too. You know, she'd be like, just like sitting somewhere and then she'd be like, oh my gosh, something's near. And then she'd find this like... <laughs> You know, I imagined like a, a red velvet pouch, like very luxurious <laughs> with like mm -hmm. these fine, finely folded up uh, pieces of paper that had these poems on them. And that like that was part of her, I guess, coping with like what she was holding on to or like her role within her um, town for a while. I mean, I'm just going to jump to like spoiling. I totally. didn't think until a decent way into the book that I was like, who the hell could this poet be right um mm -hmm. and i was like mm -hmm. i wonder if it's going to be some like quentista of the past who left these things and was feeling similarly and like it'll come in like a vision or something or is it going to be you know whoever sochi ends up falling in love with <laughs> because <laughs> there was romance in this book uh and so i kind of 
saw, like, once we got to a certain point, I was like, okay, I don't think we're going to have any visions of older Quintistas of the past, like, sharing these wisdoms and helping guide through these poems. So I was excited when it was finally revealed that it was Amelia and that, like, the poems were also guiding her. Uh, Like, she felt that twinge, Mm -hmm. too. And so, I don't know, I'm Mm -hmm. just so, like, interested in how love and magic, like, (laughs) mixed up in there. Uh, Because, like, how, I don't know, how was she getting those magical directions? How was Sochil getting those magical directions about them? Like, Amelia, you can say, like, she planted them there. So, like, she might have some stirring and remembrance or, like, uh, so I was just like, were they meant to be from all the way before? I well, I I definitely want to dive into all that, and this is going to be a very short detour. Do you want to know what I thought was happening with the poems? Yes. I fully expected that the poems. It was going to be like this big moment where they revealed that the poems were actually written by Sochio oh. at some point, and it was either going to be like some sort of like magical time travel thing, or cool. less less bizarre it was gonna have something to do with the fact that she ends up forgetting Mm. the memory or the stories that she gets so she wouldn't if it somehow overlapped with the stories she was getting she wouldn't remember leaving these notes for herself Mm. i do think i like what they did though because i think what you're getting you're getting at katie is this this weaving together of magic and love and self-care and like Mm -hmm mental health and all these things that sort of I think I think they are the magic of this book like I think that is what it is because like I don't think you can separate the fact that so Cheadle is providing an emotional support service to her village she in the village is viewed as not needing that service which I think from the get-go I was like bullshit (laughs) come on now um so then she's constantly seeking that out and the way that she finds it is through somebody she ultimately ends up falling in love with who then supports her on the way back home to ultimately make a decision that is for herself to support herself and her own health and wellness you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like there's something sort of like poetic about that full circle thing even though while it was happening i was totally confused i was like what are these poems like i don't understand but it's it's i don't know it's like perfect that it ends up being the person that ultimately supports her as she decides to support herself Mm. and it's the one thing that brought her comfort this whole time it's amazing yeah it was nicely nicely tied together and i like that it was poetry too yeah yeah because i feel like poetry sometimes gets like um I feel like in popular culture, made fun of a lot. (laughs) And so I liked that it was like poetry that was kind of their connection even before they knew they had a connection. Yeah. Vicky, do you have any wild theories about the the poetry? No, I think I... Okay, so in the beginning I said the story had like four parts for me. I think when we got to the point where they were like traveling to... Solado, um, when they were traveling out there, um, and they, she met the other Quintista traveling, I thought, well, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they were the poet. Maybe that's who it was. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, yeah, I thought that too. Yeah, and then I thought, you know what? This book has ended 
like four times for me. Like I had thought like, <laughs> oh, this thing is going to happen at the end. And then like they kept going. And not a bad thing. I was excited to read more, but I was like, oh, yeah. I thought this would like be the culminating event. Um, I thought, you know, I bet like we never find out who the poet is and that's okay because like there's just so much more there. So I really mm-hmm. didn't know or think about it until they revealed it when they were underground. Mm-hmm. And I, I really liked it too. I thought that was really, yeah. really nice. And I liked, um, I, I felt bad i i felt like amelia like didn't have something like her mother was this great oh, weaver and yeah. her father you know did all of those terrible things but like they had such a presence and she really didn't have a thing and i really liked that this gave her and i mean maybe she didn't realize it at the time but she had this within her this great power um and art that she was able to you know share with zo yeah she found her voice through poetry yeah. oh. crying <laughs> Vicky, I really like when you talked about you thought this book was going to end multiple times or like that, that yeah. this was going to be like the culminating yeah. thing. I didn't expect him to kill uh, Amelia's dad yeah. like, you know, right away. I really yeah. thought that was going to yeah. be like the last, the final battle. Um, mm-hmm. And so we expected Julio to be the big bad uh-huh. throughout the whole thing, that they were going to be pursuing Julio after he tried to kill them. And, and that was going to be the book. Like, I thought that was going to be mm-hmm. the book. Same. <laughs> really did yeah. it's like only the first quarter of the book yeah yep. <laughs> sorry i cut you off i just i was like in the same boat where i was like what <laughs> yeah uh that was like the biggest shock to me because i definitely i agree i thought that was going to be way later i also didn't expect them to like be able to kill that um i forget what they were called the like wild beast where they f- mm-hmm. they feed like the guardian the yeah. blood and then it turns yeah. wild the and hounds. killer yeah i can't remember what the word they used was but yeah they were like some sort of like hellhound yeah. type thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect them to be able to like run away and like defeat that so quickly either. And so it was also kind of like hilarious. Uh, not actually because there's a lot of blood, <laughs> but like you know the way the way in which they did it. Uh, like it was just like oh, it was like with an axe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just like, like right, right through like its uh like its shoulder blades. Yeah. yeah. And then. <laughs> I just was picturing them like, you know, uh, Julio and the devil dog um, walking into the building they were hiding in and then like them getting just taken down with axes from behind Mm -hmm. because that's kind of what happened, which was like so kind of anticlimactic, you know, I really thought it was going to be this like big, long battle and struggle, but Mm -hmm. it was over like pretty quickly. I guess they're just a good team, you know, a good murder team. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This book threw me for so many loops because, I mean, that in itself was a loop that I was thrown for. Like, the fact that Julio dies so quickly, the fact that you can even kill those hounds. But then also, in that same moment, when Xochitl's like, wait, where did Amelia go? And they're like, she's gone. She's she's She ran away. Uh, For a hot second, I was like, was she never there? like you start to learn early on that the fact that so is keeping all these stories inside of her which in this world is lit they're literal things that she's mm-hmm. holding inside of her body mm-hmm. that affect her physically i i i was like what if these things are just like fucking her up like in every which way i honestly thought the book at that point was gonna get 
even more surreal than it already does. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to trust anything I'm being told at this yeah. point. But you all know how much I love an unreliable writer. <laughs> so maybe I was just trying to, trying to manifest it. Um, but I fully thought like, oh shit, we're going to get some stuff where like reality is totally warped. I, I, I think that's just a testament to like how well this is done in that like you can't really predict what's going to happen next, but it still for me always felt satisfying whatever they were doing. Yeah. Um, even if I wasn't fully, fully understanding it in the moment. And I think there's still some stuff that I haven't totally processed or digested. Like when they are, when they face like their own, Oh, like, like there's that scene where they like face their own. Oh yeah. The gate place where they like, uh, each see yeah. like a person that they've hurt or harmed or something. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the memory. big moment was like alias are facing his, mm-hmm. was it his wife? Yeah. Um, like I still, I haven't fully like processed or, or dissected all of that. I feel like it's more significant than my brain is like grasping onto yet. And I really want to go back at some point and like really dig into that because I feel like it's really significant. And while I was reading it, I was like, I'm not entirely sure like why, I didn't dislike it, but I was like, I'm not sure how this fits into things, but I know it does. So I can't wait to like fully process it unless you all have like thoughts on it right here and now. I just haven't figured out like how it braids into everything yet. Yeah. So they like had to face their truth in that moment. And Mm -hmm. that was probably like the biggest test in their journey, at least because when they were at that farm prior to like leaving I'm forgetting names of places, but that when they were at the farm chilling and then they met up with the group Mm -hmm. and then they're like, yeah, let's go together. So we won't get uh, killed as easily. And then the the two people who just like left and came back were like, no, no, you don't want to go. There's this like really terrible moment where you're going to have to face your truth. And then uh, like, so that was like the big hurdle. And so for me, it like was just the ultimate test because the rest of it, while still hard, they still had to do a lot of things uh, or overcome, like, hurdles. Yeah. But that was, like, the hardest one. And I think, like, Eleazar, like, he thought he was doing the right thing by, instead of spending time with his dying wife, running around all over trying to find, like, some sort mm-hmm. of cure. But the truth was, nah, brah, you, like, messed up. You should just, like, chill with your wife and be with her in her final moments, Right. And so he was yeah. holding on to that literally like the whole time until he got to that truth and figured out, wow, uh, maybe that's not what I was supposed to do. And then he died, which was like, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what to make of that. But as you're as you're as you're breaking it down, it does sort of thematically weave into the ultimate conclusion so Cheadle comes to right mm-hmm. like I mean she also has to face her own truth and I think that sort of broadcasts the direction or foreshadows the direction that her journey is going to eventually take because at that point you don't know that their ultimate destination is going to be what they think is fruitless mm-hmm. you know what I mean so like they go through that and then they hit their destination and then th- like the truth she's seeking has to change so that does yeah that actually helps a lot I have no idea what to make of the fact that he dies there, though. Yeah. Like, that's like, I'm not not sure. I mean, I guess to a degree, it's sort of like uh, is that peace? he comes to his truth, like you're saying, yeah. and peace. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was that was a surprise, too. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And as we're talking about all this truth, like, so I wonder if, like, going through that trial helped Sochil 
at the end talk with the guardians and kind of like be that for them right like did you have to murder everybody yeah. in there uh <laughs> oh my that's a good gosh point. yeah i'm still uh, not confused because they did murder everyone but i'm just i don't mm-hmm. understand that at all like it they seems- just did it seems to me like the Guardians were carrying out what they thought was like a mini version or a second version of the fire, uh. you know, the that basically like the flood allegory mm-hmm. that starts the book off where like the entire planet is is basically raised by Solus to start over again. It felt like they were, it felt like a circumstance where in the real world you might have some sort of like significant action or significant event happen and then people sort of like mimic it because they they think that's the homage or Mm -hmm. that is the honoring but in doing so they kind of miss the entire point of the thing in the first place Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because i think i think it sort of it would be similar to it'd be similar to somebody believe like if somebody were really 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 um like fundamentalist about like the biblical flood or any any number of like global belief flood type traditions thinking that like okay well that needs to happen again because the world is shit right now mm-hmm. it's like well i don't know if that's exactly what that was supposed to teach you that's, like, yeah that's, i don't know <laughs> if that's the lesson here <laughs> right exactly and so i i kind of saw it as like the the sort of thing someone might do thinking that they are carrying out the will of some prophet or god or whatever but missing the point of the belief in the first place yeah i mean that's what they said right they were like oh we haven't talked to solus in a long time we just did this because that's what we thought (laughs) it's like uh on the topic of this god (laughs) did you all notice i don't know when it happened but when i noticed that it happened i was like oh shit did you all notice that the book starts with her well, not even her, because she's telling a story to Solus, but that she uses capital letters for you and your mm-hmm. and all that when the book starts, and at some point that stops, oh, even wow. though she's still telling this to Solus the entire time. No, I, I just did got not chills. That. No, I didn't notice that. I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty certain that it starts with capital Y's, kind of like, you know, I, I don't know about. Um, if this is a thing in other religions, but in Christianity, like you're supposed to capitalize pronouns if it's being re- if you're like referring to God, and so it's sort of the same thing. But there's a point at which she stops doing that, and I think mm. you know because she's telling this story verbally, that's really only for us. Mm. But it kind of broadcasts this like um, her being shaken in her faith, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because the whole book is literally her sort of purging this story to solace so she doesn't even end the book having cast off the god she worships but but her relationship to that god very significantly changes Mm -hmm. and it's like reflected i think in the way that the book uh, saying the way it's written is weird but literally like the way it portrays the language i think changes that's really interesting and cool Mm -hmm. i'll have to go back Mm -hmm. and look yeah I, i i was surprised that the whole thing sort of ended with her still still Talking. recognizing yeah. the god mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. but i like that there are changes along the way that indicate the relationship is sort of forever changed yeah and there's also that moment where she's talking to amelia where she's like 
wait, so like when like you you talk to Solus and Amelia's like, I mean, I kind of, yeah, do you not? And she's like, Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I thought that was such an interesting thing. Yeah. Just the sort of religious journey she goes mm-hmm. on is fascinating. Especially since like she's supposed to be like that religious figure within yeah. like Mm-hmm. her town and like one of the only true quintistas that we like meet right because we meet a lot of like fakers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but she's not like connected with solace in the way that this poet is right and so like mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what that has to say about art but probably something <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting i mean just the quintistas in general like you know we, we are introduced to the world through her lens so like She's a true Quintista, but like in the large city, only the fake Quintistas exist, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. As I understand it. Yeah. And and so everybody there, it's weird. Like if this story was being told through a different lens, would they even be sort of considered fake Quintistas? Or would it be like, well, no, that's what a Quintista is. Like you pay to go to confession basically. Yeah. And that's that's up to you. Like you choose whether or not that's valuable to you. Kind of like, I don't know, you pay to go to therapy. Well, the... <laughs> The, like, the difference, like, in the Quintista is that they never actually, like, give any feedback or help you work through anything. They just take the story. And they're actually, like, shady booze in the de- in the city. Oh, yeah. And they, like, use those stories to manipulate the people around them. So it kind of <laughs> reminded true. me of, yeah. like, you know, if, like, walking along a city and you see all these, like, palm readers and psychics and, like, uh. Chances are not all y'all are connected with like spirits and stuff, right? You're all just out. like some of yeah. you are making a buck here. But then on top of that, the things that they sort of like learn from you, they then like sell uh-huh. to you know some your sort rival. Of company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Facebook. Yeah, they sell your data. Yeah. I, I, I was oh, trying to think. Of, yeah, I was trying to think of the Cambridge uh, situation. Oh boy. <laughs> I also, so thinking about the end and like Doug, when you're talking about still at the end, like the realization that the whole book we just read was her giving up her, her story to Solus still. I, for a decent amount of time was like really nervous reading it as we were getting towards the end because I for sure thought she was going to (laughs) die. When she like, Same. when she was talking, I think she thought she was gonna die. I, well, I even <laughs> thought she was gonna die if she was talking with like Amelia and being like, "Oh, when I have to like throw these up." Uh, I didn't think like my first instinct was, "Oh my god, you're gonna die!" Not, "Oh my god, you won't remember the journey you just had and the fact that you just fell in yeah. love and like found out all this stuff." And so I was grateful that she didn't die, and also it made it that much nicer that. Amelia slash the poet was her support system there because mm-hmm. I mean if anyone's got a way with words and able to capture like a story and be able to like speak it in a way that will connect with her because she already has yeah so that way like it's not like what is the movie with Drew Barrymore where she forgets Fifty mm-hmm. uh, First Dates yes <laughs> classic yeah <laughs> uh, so maybe it'll be a little smoother than Fifty First Dates based on uh, Amelia's skill set in storytelling. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I, I I like the um, I like the sort of interrogation of storytelling through those two characters because you have, or 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 even just the art of language if you want to expand it further. But like you have this character who is consuming all these stories, but is is sort of told that she can't have her own, mm-hmm. and then 
by the end of the book realizes that she does have her own, but then is supported by another character whose whole sort of like not whole identity, but large, largely their identity is like the poet. And so I don't, I don't know what to make of it, but I like that there's a lot of like storytelling language, art crafting word type stuff going on here. And it's, I'm sure it's way, way more (laughs) intentional and and articulated uh, in the way that it was written than I'm making it. But uh, (laughs) I feel like that's a whole nother, like you could probably do a whole nother, you know, research paper on just that, just kind of like symbolism of like storytelling through this. Mm -hmm. That would be really cool. Uh, This book is, uh, it's got a lot of queer people in it and queer (laughs) representation. And I really like that. There are multiple instances, like maybe, maybe even a handful or more instances of just like very casually integrated couples that are queer couples characters that use you know singular they pronouns and they're kind of everywhere throughout the book Mm -hmm. it's not like there's just one it's not like there's like the one gay couple in this book Mm -hmm. or the one isn't is you know like they're everywhere it's really cool (laughs) and i guess i shouldn't be surprised because this is written by a queer non-binary author but it's still cool anytime it happens um and this book includes those characters kind of every step of the way so you know it's not just well, that, you know, that wild, wacky big city and all of their queer yeah. folk over there, like <laughs> the small village has that representation. The large city has that representation. The farm has that representation. Humans have that representation. The guardians have that representation. Like it's mm-hmm. it's really cool. They're God. They all refer to their own God with they, pro- they them pronouns. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just cool to see. Yeah. And it was done so like seamlessly that I... I mean, you know how much I love queerness and stories. <laughs> I, you know, it was done. It was just in there so much. I forgot to bring it up. So thank you for yeah. and shouting that out because it was such a good job. And I think even with like queer authors, that doesn't always happen. You know, it's it totally. can still a lot of times just be like the main person is queer, but then there's nobody else really around them or there's like one other person or there's like this house that has like you know, the drag family. And so right. I, I liked that it was everywhere. It was done so well and authentically because like queer people are everywhere. Mm-hmm. We're everywhere. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> are there any other things uh, that y'all want to mention or talk about? Gosh, there have to be, right? I mean, we can uh, this is, legit it's just talk so forever. Yeah. It's really good. It's, I will say like, if you're listening to this and you're like, I can't, I'm I I'm not totally sure about this and and just talk a little bit more about it. I will say like the the language the author uses is very poetic even when it's not poetry. Mm-hmm. I think it's also frequently written in an abstract way. You know, I was reading I was reading some reviews just on Goodreads and you know the people who really loved it seemed to really love the book and the people who didn't seemed to really not like it and I think a lot of that broke down to just whether or not people sort of enjoyed the way Marco Shiro writes their stories. Mm -hmm. I like it because I think it's really abstract and it feels like a certain type of like dreamy fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's worth noting that it, it, it feels like a very particular type of fantasy and I don't even really have a better word than just it's sort of dreamy, but it it has its own, it has a very distinct vibe. I think Mm -hmm. dreamy, just like Marco Shiro, right? Dreamy, just like Marco Shiro. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey Mark. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I do want to read um, 
their other work as well because I don't believe it's in the same genre. So I would be curious to to have like just a different perspective on how they write. Hmm. Yeah, I think they've only written two novels, but they've contributed to other stuff, right? Like anthology stuff. Yeah. So I had I had seen that they are a contributor to a Star Wars anthology, which feels right up both of your alleys because I know you you tend to read those. So yeah. Okay. We're starting the Marco Shiro fan club right now. I know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's cool. I don't think, um, I'm trying to remember, I don't think we have had an author stand out and like we talk about them as much as we have with Marco Shiro. Like usually we just, we stay with the book, but it seems like they've really kind of like, not influenced, but like obviously you are following them on Twitter and I can't say that like. I follow any or many authors that I read um, on social. So that's cool that, that they've kind of um, infiltrated the pod as an author, <laughs> not just the like the content of the book. Yeah. Thank goodness you follow them on Twitter, Doug, because otherwise we might not have read this uh, in 2020. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to make sure all of my picks are, are authors I follow on, uh, <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the oh, middle. Big thumbs up for me. Same, for sure. Yeah. It's a very cool book. Same, same. Oh, yay. Another good pick. Great job, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Every time a pick is good, pressure is on even greater for the next person. <laughs> well, oh, shit. My hands are sweating. You good luck, Vicky. Oh, wait. Oh. <laughs> if the next one works out to be what I want it to be, you know it's going to be two thumbs in one direction. <laughs> Probably not up. Uh, Can't wait. Amazing. I'll take the pressure off. It's fine. Uh, well cool thanks uh, for joining us and if you'd like to reach out to us let us know how you uh, liked this book or if you follow Marco Shiro and think they're dreamy too uh, you can email us at novelgamingpodcast at gmail.com or keep an eye out for us on twitter at novelgamingpod please rate, review, and subscribe to Novel Gaming wherever you listen to your podcast doing that really helps us out and we are so grateful for it. And stay tuned because we'll be back in a couple weeks with our final episode of 2020. Bye. 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 Bye.